0: Hey everyone, this is Jake, and you are listening to Jake's Movie Stuff, the podcast. In today's episode, I will be joined by a friend and my brother-in-law, Rick Whiting, and we will be discussing the debate on whether or not comic book movies should be considered great cinema or not great cinema. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Rick.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Jake.
0: Yeah, no worries. So we're going to dive right into this thing. We're going to go into some quotes that have been said by directors and some actors, ...regarding comic book movies and whether or not they classify as good cinema or high art movies. And the first one that really kicked this off was director Martin Scorsese, who's behind such great films as Goodfellas, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull... Uh, he came out in last year in November and said that uh, superhero movies specifically are not cinema, and then he compared them to theme parks.
1: And Jake, I definitely say that straight up, superhero movies are cinema, but I definitely say they're cinema for the masses. Not high cinema, but as far as his likening them to theme parks, that's spot on. The nature of a superhero movie is low risk, high reward, just like a theme park. You go into a superhero movie, you pretty much know the hero's going to win. You know it's going to end
0: well. You're going to end happy. You're going to leave with a smile on your face. Exactly. No, I think that's really fair. I think his comparison then to theme parks is pretty accurate. And uh, specifically in theme parks, you go on some rides and you can get really nauseous. I feel like with some of these superhero movies, just because either they're super terrible, you can get that way, or from just the kind of the overload of CGI that they sometimes resort to. Thor Ragnarok, which I do really enjoy. That's one of my biggest complaints with Thor Ragnarok, is that it does have a bit too much CGI. It uses CGI on almost every scene. And then even Spider-Man Far From Home, even though it's CGI, is really, really good. There's a scene with Samuel L. Jackson where he's sitting on a chair, and he's holding a gun, and he just has a normal, like, wood wall behind him. They CGI'd a wood wall, and they CGI'd his pistol. And I don't even have to mention uh, Henry Cavill's mustache in, (laughs) in Justice League, right? I mean, that's just terrible. A lot of Justice League CGI is really bad. Another quote that we have, and I think this one is a really intriguing one, is from director Francis Ford Coppola. He directed the Godfather trilogy and Apocalypse Now, and he said that, these type of movies are right-wing propaganda. And then he also agreed with Martin Scorsese, and he said, but Martin didn't say they're despicable, which is what I say it is. He thinks these movies are despicable, and I want to dive a little bit into what he means by right-wing propaganda. He compared how the heroes and villains, they just automatically resort to violence over something that they disagree about, and he likened this to fascism. He said this is like a fascism logic, that if you don't agree with me, I come, I beat you up, I kill you. And he says with these heroes that have these motivation, he's likening it to fascism, which I think is kind of an interesting take because when you look at it on face value, it's pretty accurate. They resort to violence pretty quick in these movies.
1: Yeah, uh, I can see that thought process. I don't know if I would agree that it's just straight right-wing propaganda. It's just general human nature propaganda of pushing an agenda. Far right and the far left both have a, a big push for my way or the highway. Then again, if you look at any other movie out there, that's the nature of almost every movie.
0: No, there's there's, there's, there's very political few. overtones and undertones to almost every movie out there.
1: But it's so. almost always somebody just acting and doing something, as opposed to waiting for the cops to get involved or waiting. You know, there, there's very few movies where they go and do
0: the right steps. Movies are made about people who just take action because that's interesting to watch. Especially superhero movies. I think superhero movies are definitely a, a platform where we want to see something that's not ultra realistic. We want to see something that's a little bit more imaginative, almost fairy tale like I mean, the Dark Knight trilogy does have a lot of realism in it, which is an aspect of high art cinema. But for the most part, I mean, Thor, I mean, it's just crazy. You know, a guy wielding a hammer flying through space on a rainbow road. I mean, it's, it's pretty out there. For the most part, it's nice to go there and just have an imagination moment and just watch something that's not based in reality at all. So moving on to another quote from British director Ken Loach. He wrote, They're made as commodities like cheeseburgers. And it's not about communicating, and it's not about sharing our imagination. It's about making a commodity which will make a profit for a big corporation. They're a cynical exercise. They're market exercise. And it has nothing to do with the art of cinema. That's kind of what we were just talking about a little bit. I mean, I, I brought in the imagination spectrum a little bit, and I I disagree that he's, it's not about sharing our imagination. I think writers like Stanley with the original comic books definitely had imagination. And this is just a realization of imagination. If he's saying this about comic book movies, would he say about like Lord of the Rings and J.R.R. Tolkien?
1: And and monetization, it is the sincerest way for people to to show that they appreciate art. Oddly enough, and not everyone can afford a Picasso, but Almost everyone can afford to go out and see a superhero movie, which is one of the benefits to the art form, is that ideas that were presented much as 100 years ago, the start of superhero ideas, and it's they've come to fruition that they had these ideas, the only medium they had in the time was written. And drawings, and then as the technology has grown, it's gotten to the point where now you have technology that allows us to to visualize and create it. So it, it's sad that yes, there's a lot of money, but it's because people have have appreciated this creativity for so long that they're willing to go and and buy tickets and spend the money and buy the costumes and I mean, yeah, Disney's taking advantage of that and the. The different Sony. Oh, yeah. And everyone's taking advantage of the fact that people love this, but it's not about the money at the end of the day. It's that people enjoy this form of art. It's got
0: such a large audience that it turns into billions. I think another thing that is going on when these directors and filmmakers are saying that it's all a money grab, I do think there is a bit of jealousy in this. I mean, you <laughs> are involved with a Marvel movie. You're going to make bank. Maybe not so much if you're in the DCEU, but if you're in Marvel, you're going to make some serious cash. You put Avengers on a title of a movie, you're guaranteed to make over $1.5 billion. So I do think there's a bit of jealousy with these directors. You know, Scorsese, his probably best film, Goodfellas, it didn't even crack $50 million at the box office. I don't think it was really low. So I think with a lot of these guys, there is just that hint of jealousy when they do bring up the money side of it.
1: I do think uh, they're producing good movies, and they're not making the money.
0: Yeah, and they're not given the money to like market it as effectively as Disney's doing. Yeah, and that's another thing. These movies, they compare them as like commercialization for just the next movie. So you have all these things in place for the next movie, the next movie, the next movie. It's just like this snowball going down a hill. It's big, money, 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 and obviously a movie like uh, Goodfellas or The Irishman, even though Irishman was released on Netflix. It doesn't have the promotional campaign near as close as any of these Marvel movies.
1: And it will never have the uh, the uh, merchandising ability oh, no. either. So there's no incentive to go and sell it as readily as, as Disney's.
0: You mean you don't want like a 70-year-old Robert De Niro action figure?
1: Right? I've got one in my basement. Oh, but...
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, if that's if all... they ever made one. But... <laughs> yeah.
0: If they ever made one, sure, I'd probably get one. But, you know, I'd probably rather have like a Superman or Batman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so on to the next quote, and this is from director David Cronenberg, and he just claimed that these movies, they're just for kids. And he was saying this in response to the Dark Knight trilogy. So after Dark Knight uh, Rises was released in 2012, or 2011, whenever it was released, he said this quote in 2012 that he thinks they're just, they're for kids. I think that's fair to certain points, but I would ask him to now, even though this wasn't around then, he should go see Deadpool and see if that's for kids, because it's not. And the Dark Knight trilogy, I mean, it's dark. I wouldn't let my I wouldn't let my son watch it until you know he's older. He's only one now, but
1: I definitely say the MCU is definitely geared towards kids. Oh yeah, um, a whole lot more than the Dark Knight or or the Batman trilogy. Christopher Nolan definitely kept that at a very
0: um, more cerebral, more adult, more complex level. Dark Knight is a fringe R-rated movie for its, like, mature themes and its darkness. It it was it was pretty close. Yeah. And at, at the end of the day, Marvel definitely
1: is kid-friendly. Take your kids to see it. Know that they're going to enjoy it. Know that they're not going to be having nightmares afterwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, So I, it's surprising they said this about the Dark Knight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Versus I, the MCU, I, I think you'd be spot on. Oh, yeah. Uh, granted... On the flip side it's 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 geared towards kids but there's so much enjoyment for adults
0: because so many of these adults that go and see these movies they grew up on the comics like yeah. it it is more than just for kids it's for people that grew up with this thing and they're entertaining I mean I think anybody can get entertainment value out of a superhero movie
1: and I think it's also for anyone who just likes the opportunity to suspend reality and enjoy the thought process of what would it be like to fly what it would be like to Swing through New York on a
0: on a spider web on a
1: spider web, yeah. Or better yet, you know, ride with
0: with uh, with Pratt, which in the Guardians of the Galaxy with a talking raccoon and a tree. With Spider Man, I, I just sometimes wonder if that's promoting kids to just go out and get bit by spiders, though. You know, like <laughs> I remember I got bit by a spider once. I had a big spider bite in my arm. I was convinced it was going to be Spider Man. But I wasn't. I just got a bad rash and it was, that was about it. <laughs> no Spider Man. I remember when uh,
1: Power Rangers came out when I was a kid. People said not to watch them because kids were like out there doing karate moves against each other. And in reality, you know, there, there's a couple cases where kids, you know, actually hurt each other because of, of these shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's rare and I don't
0: think that's, that's the source of the, and- the issue. Quentin Tarantino's often been criticized for his movies also inciting violence and everything. And there's been studies that come out that show. There's really no connection between that. There's no real connection between violence in movies and violence in people. If you're a violent person, you're a violent person. Hmm. Anyways, so we have a quote from an actor who starred in Captain America, The First Avenger. He was Red Skull, Hugo Weaving. He's also in one of my favorite movies, V for Vendetta. And he said, as an actor, to do all sorts of different films is great. It stretches you in different ways. But I increasingly like to go back to what I used to always do, which is to get involved with projects that I really have a personal affiliation with. What are your thoughts on that, Rick?
1: I I think it's interesting that he says that because he's played in such a diverse set of movies. It's amazing that he could have an affiliation with so many things. Oh um, yeah, Lord of the Rings, Matrix, MCU. <laughs> it is interesting to me that they, they didn't decide to stick with the MCU because I think he would have enjoyed it because he just he's just such a great actor.
0: But at the the end of the day, I can appreciate him wanting to to, to move on to. He's I, I love watching him act, and it is interesting to get his take where he has been on that side. Our next two quotes, I think, are probably two of the more fascinating ones because one is from director James Mangold, who directed uh, Logan, the last movie to star Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, and the other one is from director Tim Burton, who directed Batman and Batman Begins in 1989 and in the 1990s. And it's interesting to get their take where they were so involved with a superhero movie and to see what their aspect is, their viewpoint is on it now. So director James Mangold, he said that tentpole movies are not good movies and are only made to sell merchandise uh, for the next movie. He claims that his refusal to make a typical superhero movie is what made Logan stand out. He had a lot of influence from, like, uh, Sergio Leone movies, those spaghetti westerns to make Logan. And I think he has a fair point. Logan does really stand out when you compare it to especially the X-Men movies. It is a lot different. It's very... Very western y. It's not very superhero-ish at all until the kind of the climax with the kids when they start showing their powers.
1: Yeah. And and interestingly enough, Logan, because of that, I, I, I think that's what he went for. He went to make a different movie, which I think is great. And it made a ton of money. But at the end of the day, he, he created another temple movie in a weird way. Yeah, he did. Um another another stepping stone for the continuation. So it, it's hard like, to be a successful superhero movie. You are a temple movie nowadays because if you succeed, they'll want to make another one. Uh, people want to see more. Mm-hmm. There will be more money thrown at it. So it, it seems like the only way you don't end up with a, a mar- uh, superhero temple movie is by making a bad one. <laughs>
0: Look at Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds. What <laughs> <laughs> <One> a <and> done. <laughs> one done. They clearly had a sequel in mind for that movie and... <laughs> it's not coming.
1: Ironically, sometimes even if you make a
0: bad one, they still make another one. So, <laughs> that's true. I think the DCEU can uh attest to that, and so can Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. I mean, they <laughs> That's pretty bad. <laughs> Speaking of Batman, this tie's in pretty good. Uh, Tim Burton, who directed the first two Batman movies, and he took a completely different view on Batman that had been previously portrayed. He'd been portrayed as like the Adam West, very campy, very, I mean, they're old. And he took a very dark take on The Dark Knight. And he has this to say about superhero movies. He says, how many times can you say, you're wearing a funny costume with the tights and stuff? That's been going on for 20 years now. So he's clearly hinting at that it's just redundant. And I think he's got a pretty fair point. A lot of superhero movies, they're very similar when you boil it down. One of the, definitely one of the large cons to superhero movies
1: is it's always the protagonist wins. Always the generic, you've got a villain, you've got a superhero, they're pit against each other. You already know the outcome. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so They do usually follow like the traditional hero's journey where like the hero will come short to the villain at one point in the movie, but then works a little bit you know some sort of montage usually yep. gets jacked and swole even more and then goes out and kicks the crap out of the bad guy or drops him off a building right yep.
1: and that's definitely one of the things that i i'm i'm surprised that the audiences haven't become exhausted right that we're 23 movies deep into the marvel um, universe and it looks like there's no end in sight People are are continuing. I mean, in a weird way, it seems like it's growing. People are
0: liking it more. I think if they kept sticking with just origin stories, it would probably become that way. But where they are moving more into kind of sequel territory? Because the last origin movie to come out was Captain Marvel, and that was pretty hated by fans. But Black Panther, which is like his big movie in the MCU, it wasn't an origin story. No. It was like we established that he was the Black Panther and we're moving on with it. And I think that might be why it did better is it wasn't an origin. Yeah.
1: And I think what it speaks to is that there are a lot of people like if TV shows have kind of shown that as long as it keeps building, you keep learning, you keep growing with the characters, you can make a lot of shows around a set of characters and evolve them and grow them. And maybe it never exhausts. There's a lot of material to create these shows and people love the material. They love the backstories. They love the interplay of the the heroes actually being able to work against each other, work together, and build these leagues or yeah <laughs> or, or, or teams, and the interplay that you get between them, and then all the diversity that they get to then sit there and argue with their friends about you know why didn't this happen, or why this, and why this plot hole. I, I think that's where <laughs> Marvel's been smart. Smart is. They haven't cared about trying to fix every plot hole. They just they they tell a story in a fun way,
0: regardless of whether or not it makes the most sense. You know. Oh, well, there's millions of plot holes in the MCU, but the gist of the story, the meat of the story, is still there. It still flows, in essence, from movie to movie and from character to character. Yeah. There's even though there is the holes that yeah. exist.
1: And they and they they captivate the audience by, you know, not always making the most sense, but Allowing the actors to be developed and and have their finales and their moments when needed, you could always just have Captain Marvel show up and save the day because she's gonna kick everyone's butt. But it's nice to get Robbie Robert Downey Jr.'s closure, you know, to say you know he's Iron Man and to snap his finger.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Right? No, it is it is good. Even if there's four other characters that could snap it and they're not gonna die, but he does.
0: It does. It we completes- followed his story. It completes an arc for Iron Man that had taken, uh, what, seven, eight, maybe nine movies to try to cover when you count even his little cameos in movies like in Spider-Man Homecoming. Even though he's only in it for a little bit, there is growth there, the growth between him and Spider-Man. That's where that really comes. That's actually one thing that I've come across is that some people do criticize the character development within these movies, saying that like taking so many movies to be able to grow their characters isn't cinema enough, and I, I don't really agree with that take. I think they do develop these characters really well, especially in the origin. Like in Iron Man, right, you have uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, and he, I mean, he has to have his his whiskey in the army car with him. I mean, he's just kind of hot shot, almost like he's invincible. Then he gets blasted. He has to have that thing in his chest, right? He starts kind of humbling himself and realizing. He, I need to do something better for society. I'm killing society. And he becomes Iron Man to be able to stop the terror that's happening in the world. And he has this change of heart where he's no longer like this super selfish individual. He's starting his selfless journey and it becomes fully realized at the end of Endgame. And it's taken those many movies to fully develop that character. But in that first movie alone, there is a lot of character development for Iron Man. And you can do that for the like all of the origin movies that have pretty much ever been made, maybe with the exception of Green Lantern. Yep.
1: And there is there is definitely I mean I definitely say like Age of Ultron lacked a lot of character for development. You know, there's there's movies out there Thor two, like there's oh, yeah. certain ones it's like there was not a lot of character growth. But then there's other ones that there is a lot. So it's mm-hmm. a, it's definitely a mixed bag. It's definitely the director. Do it really have, gets hard
0: once you get beyond the origins because it's like they're established as a hero and there's. Just- they're like a good guy. It's kind of hard to have if, wiggle room with that.
1: If you compare it to action movies, though, overall, I'd say their character development is fine. If you oh, try to yeah. compare it to other types of movies... Like then, The Godfather.
0: Yeah, it, obviously it's not as good.
1: Yeah, it's, it's going to get <laughs> sketchy. But for action movies, you never get as much character development. So no. you'd have to go enter another genre. You know, oh, yeah. You'd have to change superhero movies to a drama or a a different genre altogether in order to get the character development that some people are looking for. Exactly. And to be honest, they shouldn't be watching
0: superhero movies. If they're, if they're that <laughs> hung up on something like that. Because there's clearly character development. And going along with uh, character development, I think it, one thing that could make these movies more like the cinema that Martin Scorsese has in mind is if they take some of the humor out of the, some of these movies and focus more solely on character development. Namely, like in Thor Ragnarok, they focus on a lot of just really tongue-in-cheek jokes, a lot of almost unnecessary humor elements that undermine potentially large character development points.
1: Yeah, it's an opportunity that's been missed. You know, trading out simple humor for good prose, good thought-out moments in movies um, would elevate the cinema content of the movies generally, Without taking away from the family friendliness, without taking away from the humor, which also makes it more family friendly, they could just elevate the movie. And along that line, they could also elevate it by the other things that we've talked about. Using less CGI or Definitely. cleaning up the CGI to be... At a higher level for cinema when they're using it and then using other
0: effects. I'm not like a huge fan of the sequels of Star Wars, but one of the things I do appreciate the new Star Wars movies doing is using more practical effects and moving away from the CGI that plagued the prequels. Granted, the prequels were made several years before, but the CGI is just terrible. Even for back then, the CGI was bad. On top of doing that, another important thing that they could do, and some of these superhero movies do do this, but namely with like the MCU if they just had like a half-decent score instead of just using 70s songs. and
1: Yeah, taking it to that next level, I, I, man, I totally agree that having a good score in a movie makes it so much more rewatchable, so much more enjoyable. It changes the emotions of a movie, makes them deep, deeper, makes them more rich. And Marvel is not taking the time or, and spent the money to really create an epic score to go along with an epic set of movies.
0: So that would definitely elevate the cinema overall. One of the reasons I like to rewatch Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, Star Wars, Jaws, uh, a lot of these, Harry Potter, is because, and it's not the sole reason, but they have amazing soundtracks. Uh, They have amazing scores, I should say. And not all of them have to be done by John Williams by any means, but uh, if they could, I wouldn't be against it. But you think of Superman, you think of the Superman theme from the original Superman movie when you think of Batman I personally think of Danny Elfman's Batman theme from the original Batman the Dark Knight had good music for the movie but it's not stuff that you really remember uh, after seeing the movie Hans Zimmer creates a really good score for being able to build tense moments but it's not like you watch that movie thinking oh, I'm gonna listen to some great music while I watch this movie it's not gonna capture you with its music
1: and I would definitely say for, for most movies, having an epic score to create the continuity, they're one-off movies, but you look at at large trilogies, the Star Wars sagas, having a good score, especially when you're going to take the time to make dozens of movies, take the time to go and write some underlying music that is beautiful, to, to mirror it, to bring in continuity back into moments in the movie that aren't just epic but are are fundamentally emotional and strong and vibrant
0: like lord of the rings has both it has epic soundtrack like the Urukai soundtrack into the two towers it's intense but then you have uh, just other par- parts of that movie like when they're running through the hills and whatever or the shire music it's just this calm peaceful or adventurous or evil it just evokes emotion and it gets you into it yeah and that's, and, and that's the beautiful thing with the Shire music. It comes full circle. Oh, yeah. They can
1: bring it back in at the end and create this calm that started at the beginning. Uh, they, they, you can do so much with the music. Such a big opportunity that's been missed by the MCU.
0: Oh, definitely. And uh, even though the Avengers, Avengers movies, they do have an Avengers theme, it just it doesn't come anywhere close to any of the other titles we've mentioned. And they could have done so much better with that aspect. But with that being said, I do think that these superhero movies and comic book movies they're very enjoyable movies they're fun movies to watch they might not be the absolute highest cinema movie you can ever watch but they're still decent director james gunn who directed the guardians of the galaxy movies said many of our grandfathers thought all gangster movies were the same often calling them despicable some of our great grandfathers thought the same of westerns and i believe the films of john ford and Sergio Leone were all exactly the same. I remember a great uncle to whom I was raving about Star Wars responded by saying, "I saw that one. It was called Two Thousand One, and boy, was it boring." Superheroes are simply today's gangsters, cowboys, outer space adventures. Some superhero films are awful. Some are beautiful, like westerns and gangster movies, and before that, just movies. Not everyone will be able to appreciate them, even some geniuses, and that's okay.
1: And I would, I would definitely, um, I definitely appreciate. James Gunn's take on this uh, you know everyone in their time the, the critics will come out they will attack they will say what the what's going to be said but at the end of the day they'll stand the test of time we'll see what people think 20 years from now and I think you'll find that what he said is true to many degrees that what was been said about previous movies will be said again in future movies and at the end of the day these superhero movies are are good cinema. Some of them are excellent cinema. Some of them are terrible cinema. But they are definitely
0: a, a
1: creative piece and will leave a lasting legacy for cinema.
0: I full agree with that. And with that being said, that is the conclusion of this podcast. Thank you, Rick, for being able to join me on this episode. Jake,
1: thanks for having me. It's been fun.
0: No worries. This is Jake from Jake's Movie Stuff. Catch you next time.